Thank you, Matt. Just a couple quick announcements this morning for you all to kind of keep aware of on your calendars. Uh, I know the ladies' uh, potluck breakfast was supposed to have happened, and it has been rescheduled to September 24th. Just want to make sure you're aware of that. That's going to be happening at 10 a.m. If you already signed up for that, please do try to see if you can still make that happen on the 24th. Um, check out in the foyer to see what the sign-up sheet looks like. You can put down what you're bringing uh, for that special ladies' potluck breakfast. Uh, also, uh, I wanted to make a, a quick mention of Love Life. Um, thank you to all those that are uh, looking forward and have already participated in Love Life Ministries. Uh, you put up the Adoption Week, Alex. There's a specific uh, week that we have scheduled next month that we will be adopting an entire week uh, in October to be a part of Love Life. Uh, my wife and I have been to... Uh, a prayer walk in Chapel Hill about a month ago, and several of you were down for a training in Raleigh. Several of the teenagers will be for, at a Youth for Life in Raleigh this upcoming Saturday, and we're going to go to a state game afterwards. Um, so if, if you're part of any of these things, you kind of already heard about this, but just circle this entire week on your calendar. Uh, Brother Larry had mentioned this to me last week, and actually I had a conflict on one of the dates. So just, just be, this is a big calendar date coming up. Uh, this Saturday is going to be a really big day. We have someone that will be speaking here that Sunday. I think Brother Larry's going to give a short message on life, and then they'll be uh, represented from Love Life. Just a great organization when it comes to supporting. We know our God is a God of life. He's a miracle-working God. He's one that, that loves every single person that has ever lived or has ever had any sense of humanity about them. That he has made them with that image of God, and that, and that life is important. And so praying, uh, coming alongside a ministry like Love Life is something I think is very important, a ministry of presence, if nothing else. Uh, and it's important as a, a member of the Durham community to support uh, an area that really there's not a lot of presence there. There's been a little bit greater presence the last couple months, uh, you know, and we're a part of that. Uh, just being willing to go and to stand and to pray. This Larry said several times, this is not a sign-holding sign uh, ministry where you're standing in, and I've heard also said, you're not cursing the darkness so much as you're just representing Jesus uh, in one of the darkest places where you have uh, two, two, two factors. You have unborn children that are just considered worthless, and you have mothers that really society in the same way has, has devalued. Um, and so these, these hopeless, feeling hopeless people come and they feel like they have no other choice. So sometimes seeing a, a body of believers praying and just thinking, wait a second, you know, there, there is another alternative. I would never even consider that. That goes a long way in of itself. So with that being said, just keep these dates on your calendars, uh, October 9th to the 15th, and of course the, the ladies' breakfast coming up. Right. With that being said, I'll step over to Children's Church, and y'all welcome Brother Dan Saldana. What a great segue into my sermon today, which is on being born again. Um, if you don't have an outline, you should get one today. If you don't have one, if you hold your hand up, uh, Brother Neil will bring one to you. If you have one, you'll notice that at the bottom of the outline, there is a line for you to enter a name of somebody you feel needs to be born again. It could be anybody in your circle of influence. It could be a family member, a friend, a co-worker, or a classmate. Or it could even be you. The name on that piece of paper is in person that you want to pray for, that'll be for the coming days and weeks, that'll be your burden to pray for this person and to reach out for them. If someone were to ask you, 
Are you born again? The majority of people that are sitting here would answer most assuredly, yes. But what if they ask Ness, how do you uh, think that happens? What would your answer be? If you're like most, you will say, I received Christ into my heart. Excellent. But it doesn't really answer the question of how you born again. Maybe you answered, well, I started living for God. But that's not a bad answer. But again, it's the product. That will be the product of the rebirth and not really answering the question of how. Being born again is at the core of our existence in Christ. It's at the very center. That is why I cannot stress how important it is to have a clear understanding of what being born again means. If we don't understand it, how can we explain it? While we're on the topic of being born, as Brother Matt says, I want to thank the people that went out to Chapel Hill yesterday to stand in prayer with Love Life Ministries. I believe it was Rebecca and David and uh, Lois Delaney and other people. So they are standing to intercede in prayer for the lives of those unborn babies whose mother have decided to kill them. That's crass words, but that is exactly what is happening. I cannot comprehend why someone would do such a thing. This is a human life. No matter what anybody says. It is a human life regardless of whatever stage of gestation that he or she is in. Now, we would be shocked and outraged if as soon as the baby came out of the womb, the mother would say, nope, I don't want it, destroy it. The legal system will call that murder. What's the difference? It is a human being created in God's image, no matter if it's inside or outside the womb. So thank you all that are involved in the life, Love Life Ministry and in all those other organizations that stand for ending this travesty called abortion. And if you haven't affiliated, please see Rebecca, Brother Larry, who's watching on, on online today. Thank you, Brother Larry, for taking this as your burden. And won't you join with Brother Larry and Rebecca and, and all the others to stand for this. The birth of a baby is just such an awesome miracle. When you see a baby for the first time, what joy, what awesome feeling comes over you. In 1970, when our Danny was born, I wasn't even allowed to hold him. The hospital in those days had a special room uh, in the maternity ward called the Father's Room. Some of you that are as old as me might remember those days. 
We had to wait there. And I had to wait there while Josie was in labor until the nurse came in and said, congratulations, Mr. Saldana, it's a boy. And she ushered me into the hallway where Danny was wheeled out in a small bed covered by this plastic dome. I was dumbfounded. There lay my son, a new creation that God had blessed Josie and I with. Even now, I don't have any words to describe those feelings. And when we, he got a little older, and I have pictures of myself and of him, and then we put them together, it is amazing how much he looked like me. He inherited much from Josie and I, some of them good, some of them bad. At age 35, you see, I had a heart attack that required bypass surgery. At age 50, he had to undergo the same thing. But something worse he inherited from me, something even more deadly that no doctor or medicine will be able to cure, and that is the sin nature. There is no cure. It is terminal. There is no fix. There is no repair. And there never will be. We must be born again. We must bury the old and receive a new life. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and all things become new. When someone dies, we say they have passed away. Here in Scripture, it says old things have passed away. The old nature is dead. Romans 6, 6, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. This verses all point us to the fact that we must be born again. This morning, let's look at this miraculous uh, conversation that uh, and this event that we're going to talk about. Let's begin by reading the introduction in your outline. Being born again ultimately is the process, the process of being transformed from death to eternal life. The process of moving from kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. It is embracing and accepting the fundamental truth of the gospel that Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, died on the cross, was buried, but rose again three days later. By this, he paid the ultimate price for our sin once and for all so that we might be saved from eternal damnation. Jesus explains this process in his conversation with Nicodemus. Open your Bibles to the third chapter of the book of John. This is where Jesus gives us one of the most precious truths in all the Bible. 
It is one of the best explanations of how one can enter into heaven. We learn this truth from a discussion that is recorded here in the third chapter of John. It is a discussion that he had with one of the most educated men in the land of the time. Oh, but before, before we get started, before we enter in, let's pray. Dear Lord, we love you because you first loved us. So we come before you with a spirit of great thanksgiving and in all humility, ask that you teach us through your word. Increase our understanding and help me to accurately explain your word. Bless the reading of the scripture today and may it be a light to our feet and a lamp to our path. Give us a fresh understanding, Lord, for this familiar part of Scripture, a better understanding of your teaching on being born again. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Reading from chapter 3 of the book of John, verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Here we are introduced to Nicodemus. He is mentioned a couple of other times in the Bible, but here is the first time he is being mentioned. First, we are told he is a Pharisee. Oh, when we say that word, that brings up such negative feelings and, uh, about those people. And looking back here in the 20th, first century, we see Pharisees as the worst of all Jews. We see them as cold, legalistic, and expressing no grace, lacking in grace. But if we look at the other side of the coin, the Pharisees are actually among the best of the Jews. They were highly educated, and they were zealous for the word of God, they gave themselves to studying the scripture and making sure that they were doing everything that God had asked them to do. They dedicated their lives to making sure that every little bit of the law was being kept. And when this uneducated, itinerant preacher came and he told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that just filled him with anger. And he was a Pharisee. There weren't very many of them in all of Judea, the whole country. There were only about five or 6,000 of them. To become one, you had to stand before at least three other Pharisees and vow to dedicate your life to the study of the Holy Scriptures. Therefore, as they studied, they started getting into the minutia of the law, which gave rise to the Mishnah. The Mishnah for the Jews is the code that they came up with. All the regulations, an interpretation of the law. And there were thousands of these edicts and regulation. Picture a lawyer's office with wall-to-wall -wall laws of the book that was the Mishnah. The most familiar one to us 
where we read in the Bible is concerning the fourth commandment, concerning the Sabbath. The commandment was to observe the Sabbath, to keep it holy, and to do no work. So they set out to define, what is work? How far can you walk? How much can you lift? How much can you carry? It became such a burden for the people. That's why when Jesus came on the scene, said that the Sabbath was for men and not man for the Sabbath. So it was the Pharisees that rule, wrote all these rules. And they dedicated their lives to observing them and making sure that everyone else did. They were sincere, but as with all legalistic people, they lacked grace. We can see how ridiculous it got, but we have to admire that commitment to keep in all the things that they believe God had commanded, even to the nth degree, no matter the inconvenience. So one thing about Nicodemus was that he was incredibly passionate for the word of God. Another thing that we can deduce about Nicodemus is was he was wealthy and that he came from a wealthy family. In the social ladder, he was way up there in the Jewish society. John gives us a hint of that when he records uh, in chapter 19, verse 39, and it says, And Nicodemus, who was the first that came to Jesus by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. He brought that to embalm the body of Christ. A hundred pounds. By today's value, that is close to a quarter of a million dollars. He was a wealthy individual. Nicodemus was also a ruler of the Jews. That makes him a member of the Sanhedrin. These were the most powerful men in Jewish society. Not just anybody could become a member of the Sanhedrin. You had to be extremely influential and you had to be wealthy to become a member of the Sanhedrin. As there were only 71 of them throughout Judea. So Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Nicodemus was wealthy and he was a member of the ruling class. Another thing we learn about Nicodemus is found in verse 10 of chapter 3. Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Jesus is acknowledging that he is the teacher, not just a teacher. He is the head teacher of all of Judea. He knew the facts about scripture, as, but as Jesus pointed out, he felt short about understanding the truth. Nicodemus, reading his resume, surely was going to heaven. As I look across this congregation and I see all the saints, I confidently see that many of you surely are going to heaven. To me, you all look good. To me, you all look qualified. But you see, only Jesus can see into the heart of men. 
Let's go on to verse 2. This man came to Jesus by night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. It might have been out of fear of being seen with Nicodemus. Or it may just have been that this would be about the best time that he could get alone with Jesus. So he says to him, we know you are a teacher come from God. And, and this is not just an idle statement because some of the Pharisees were already saying that Jesus' power is from Satan. But here Nicodemus is saying that he knows his power is from God. I've seen the things you do, he says. So perhaps he was asking Jesus in a subtle way, tell me, Jesus, are you the Messiah? But Jesus cuts through all the fluff and all the flattery, and he says, Jesus, in verse 3, Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Wow. Jesus hits him right on the nose. Here we have one of the highest religious leaders in the land of the Jews, the teacher of teachers. And Jesus is telling him that he's not getting into heaven. Unless you are born again, he tells him, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And this was shocking to him in that he truly believed he already had his ticket to heaven. After all, he is an heir. It is his birthright. He is a Jew, a son of Abraham. He is a leader of the Jews. He knows scriptures backwards and forwards. What do you mean I'm not getting in? When we stand before Jesus on that final day, we will stand there stripped of all our earthly trappings. Your pedigree won't matter. Your education won't matter. Your good deeds won't matter. The only things that will matter, are you born again? And Nicodemus was shocked, but he was also puzzled. Verse 4 says, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born again? Now, this isn't a question of ridicule. Nor is it a question that he was, because he was ignorant. It is more that he is respectfully asking and questioning, What is this that you're saying? Surely someone cannot be go back into the womb. So what is this second birth that you're talking about? So Jesus gives them three illustrations. Verse 5. Jesus answered, most assuredly, um, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So what does born of water mean? Well, water can be a reference to being cleansed by the word. 
or it can be a reference to the Holy Spirit. It could also be a reference to necessity of water baptism. But Jesus is not saying here that the new birth comes from water baptism. So let me clear this, because this is something that is kind of unclear to a lot of people. Yes, baptism, water baptism is necessary for spiritual obedience. But it is not necessary for spiritual birth. Salvation is a free gift. If you need something to get, to get it, then it doesn't, it isn't a gift. If you need to be baptized to be saved, then it's not free. That goes against every thing that is taught by the apostles. It is free, they say. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus and not by our own works or our own efforts. I repeat, it's free. When I was baptized, I was already saved. I did not have to be baptized to complete my salvation. I did it to tell the world that I am identifying with Jesus Christ. It is important to affirm what the Bible says about salvation and that Christians are not, not, not born again by their own work or merits. Salvation is obtained by, if salvation is obtained by anything would, that we do, then what is Christ about? It is something Christ does. We are not capable of saving ourselves from our sin and we are not able to buy our way into heaven. Ephesians 2 and 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. Christ alone interceded before God on your behalf paying the ultimate price for our sin once and for all so that we may be saved. Acts 4.12 Nor is, it, is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus answers Nicodemus with the same principle using slightly different words. Unless you are born of this water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Even if it were possible for you to enter the, the, your mother's womb again, and it isn't, and be born again in the natural, it would not solve your sin problem. You need to be born of the spirit, Jesus said, that which is born of flesh remains flesh. You need to be born of the Spirit. The word Spirit, if you'll notice, is capitalized, meaning that it is referring to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the person involved in rebirthing you. When you are born again, there is a change in you. And I have seen 
many people come to the altar, kneel down, and have a good cry. But they walk back, go back to their seat, and they remain unchanged. There needs to be a regeneration of your spirit. You need to be born again. You need to get to a place where you surrender everything to Jesus. Else all you will get is a good cry that will make you feel good for the, for the moment. But you walk away unchanged. Tomorrow is back to the same old, same old. Jesus gives another illustration. <clears throat> Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. That's verse 7 and 8. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell it where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Understand that the Jews of the period did not have the same understanding of the Holy Spirit that we, the post-Reformation church, has. Jesus understands, as he states it in, so many, in such terms that Nicodemus can understand. This new life of Jesus is talking about a mysterious, it's as mysterious as the wind. In the rebirth experience... The movement of the Holy Spirit is similar to the wind. They are both invisible, but the effects can be sensed. The rebirth cannot be fully explained. It has to be evidenced. You can see the results. The best evidence of being born again experience is you, the Christian. You are the best uh, once you were blind, but now you see. For me, that transformation was highly visible to my friends at the time and to my family. There's my witness right there of what a radical change was in my life. I was a radically new person, and I mean radical. After all the explanations... Nicodemus is still confused. Verse 9, Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Let's skip forward to verse 14. Verse 14 says, And as Moses has lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. This is Jesus' third illustration of the brass serpent. It is based on the account that you find in Numbers 21. It tells of God's punishment of the Israelites for their lack of faith and also for murmuring against God and the man of God. Let that be a lesson to us about murmuring about our leaders in the church. And about worse, about murmuring against God. God sent a plague of fiery uh, serpents. They were called fiery not because of how they looked or their appearance, but because of the effects of their bite. The bite would cause an agonizing, 
fever that eventually led to death. So the people repented and they pleaded with Moses, please intercede for us. And he did. God instructed Moses to mold a brass image of a fiery serpent. He was to put it up on a pole. And when a person had been bitten, they would only have to look at that image and they would be miraculously healed. You can read about it, chapter 21 of Numbers. So why didn't God teach them how to make an antidote? Because if they were to make their own medicine, even then eventually they would give glory to what? The medicine. Or eventually they would give uh, glory to their own efforts. I, I produce this. Pfizer produced this antidote. No. When God heals people through medicine or through doctors, the glory immediately goes to the doctors. I have seen it happen over and over. Oh, I see Dr. So-and-so. He's a miracle worker. He operated on Josie, and Josie no longer has cancer. Baloney. All the glory goes to God. I believe God is instructing us about the real issue of this affliction. They had incurred this punishment for their sins of lack of faith and for murmuring. They could cure the symptoms, but there is no cure for sin unless God provides the cure. Without that, the only thing to expect is death. We all know the verse, for the wages of sin is what? Death. Do you see now how this incident in Scripture becomes a prefiguring of Jesus on the cross? He was lifted up on the cross and became sin for us to provide a cure for our sin problem. And all we have to do is cry out to him as the thief on the cross, remember me, Lord. We cannot work out our, uh, ourselves out of sin. There is no cure. Because you see, Jesus does not want to fix you. There is no fix. Jesus does not want to heal your sin problem. He wants to remake you, rebirth you, out with the old and in with the new. I believe that the most agonizing pain felt by our Lord was not the whipping. And we all know that was harsh and brutal. And it wasn't by the thorns on his head or the agony of having to wear, weigh, bear the weight of the cross rubbing up against his open wounds on his back in his weakened state as he was compelled to carry his own cross to the crucifixion site. It was not the pain of having nails drived into his hands or into his feet. No, the greatest pain of his sacrifice was when the entire weight of all our sins, of all the sins of the world from the creation of man till the end of the earth, when all that was dumped on him 
and the Father, who cannot be where sin is, withdrew from them for that instance. So he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was the manifestation of God's hatred of sin. That suffering that Jesus endured was because of us. Because of us and for us. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Verse 15. Um, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. What did Jesus mean, believe in him? What does it mean to be a believer? A thorough study is needed here for sure. Let's just answer with a question. What does it mean to be afflicted with a sin disease that has no cure? The cure is simply look to the cross. This brings us to the crown jewel of all of scripture. It is the scripture around which the Bible revolves. John 3.16. If you've been in church for a while, chances are this is the first verse that you memorized. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. I could spend hours talking about this verse. So let me just summarize it. Let's take the phrase, for God so loved the world. How can we quantify this? How can we say this much? Before Josie and I got married, we were dating. We spent a lot of time talking and sharing plans and dreams either over the phone or sitting in our car, I would try to convey how much I loved her. And I say, Josie, I love you from here to the moon. Have you ever heard that? Well, I, corny as it is, I told that to Josie. And Josie, being equally cor corny, replied, well, Dan, I love you from here to the moon and back. Well, I'm not willing to concede that she loved me more. I would come back. Well, I love you from here to the moon and back 100 times. And on and on we'd go to the moon and back. I think the record it was we went there a gazillion times. Well, let me tell you, God tops that. I love you so much that I gave you my only son. What a, what a sacrifice. Now that's love. I think of my two sons. I would never think of sacrificing them, either of them. Well, if I'm asked, what about if they could save thousands of lives? I don't care. If it was a million lives, I would not give them up. They are my sons that I love and that I would bleed for. So how did God show his love for us? By giving his only son. Deity in the flesh. To be abused and disrespected, humiliated, to be mauled, and finally 
crucified. It was the most precious gift possible. I found, find this story on Facebook about the great preacher Dwight Moody. And at 17 years, um, um, and a 17-year-old boy named Harry Morehouse was somehow allowed to preach at his church. And he preached a powerful and passionate sermon on John 3.16. It was so powerful that he invited him to come back. And for six straight days, he preached. And all he preached was John 3.16. On that final day, this is the quote. And I got this from Facebook. I'll give you this site if you want. Folks, if I could borrow Jacob's ladder tonight, if I could climb up to this, out of this world beyond the stars, if I could stand in the presence of the living God, if I could say to Gabriel, the great archangel who dwells in the ineffable light of a just God, if I could say, Gabriel, Gabriel, how much? How much, Gabriel, does God Almighty love this world of lost souls? He said, Gabriel, could you, could you, uh, could, Gabriel could do no better than to say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It makes no difference, angel or man, or beast or demon, in heaven or earth or hell. You cannot put together a combination of words that expresses the truth of the Christian gospel like these words. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. End of quote. God loves the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begun that whoever believes in him. That sounds so simple. But really what does it mean to believe? It means more than to, than to acknowledge. I believe it is tied in to our desperately needing a savior. I will borrow from the words of that song, Living Hope. How great a chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. So in desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Worship team, won't you come? When we get to that point of desperation, we acknowledge, we believe that our only hope is in Christ. Until we get to that point of desperation, we will go on trying to fix our own mess. God's promise to us is this, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Where do you want to spend eternity? It's your choice to perish in eternal suffering or to have eternal life with the Lord. Remember the words of Jesus, most assuredly, most assuredly, that's the same as saying, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus begins that sentence again with the most assuredly or truly, truly. 
This is our Lord saying emphatically and repeatedly, unless you are born again, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. The, the choice is yours. Won't you surrender today? As I, as I said earlier, I look across the congregation and everybody looks good to me. But only God knows what's in your heart and what you need. Won't you surrender today? Won't you let your pride go and say yes to Jesus? In a minute, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if you want to be born again or if you need prayer. In the meantime, I will let the Holy Spirit work while the worship team sings this song that we have selected for you.
the time of decision is here. And if everybody would bow their heads, because some of us might be like Nicodemus, want to come at night. So the time of decision, the Holy Spirit is doing the work. He's done his work on you, and it's now your turn to respond. If you want this precious gift that I've been talking about, if you want to be born again, if you're not sure, maybe you came to the altar and said, yes, I want to receive, but there wasn't a change. If you want to receive a true change, raise your hand so I can pray with you. I won't, I, I won't only ask once. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Okay, you can put your hands down. I'd like to ask the prayer warriors, the, the ones that have dis, dis, uh, designated as altar workers, to come up front. If you raised your hands and, and you want prayer, if you have any questions... Come forward. I'll be down there as well. Let some of these warriors, if you can turn around and look at our people that want to make a decision. Thank you, Father. Amen. Hallelujah, Lord. Amen. As is our custom, as the ministry is going forward, I want you to, the rest of you, to look at the, the names you put on your list. Keep them in your mind and come forward. Come forward as we close our service in, in the altar. Please, everybody come forward and let's pray. Let's surround these precious souls that have stepped from darkness into light. Hallelujah. And as ministry is going around, please uh, let the ministers minister and you just come to the side and begin to pray and to intercede in the name of Jesus. Holy, holy, holy.
for his work here today. To your new people, let me tell you this, what I tell every new convert in Jesus Christ. I'll wait to get their attention in a moment. But in the meantime, is there anybody here that has a need for prayer? Anybody that's got a sickness, any, an illness, anybody that needs a miracle from God, anybody that has a need to restore a relationship, anybody that needs restoration in their walk with Christ, raise your hand so we can pray with you. Y'all are good? I'm glad. Oh, joy. Can we get some ladies to come around and pray for joy? Teresa and Linda, could you? In the meantime, young man, Thank you for coming forward. What is your name? Gary. Gary. And the two young ladies? Ashley. Mackenzie. I want to give you some advice that I give, or direction, really, that I give any person that I pray with to receive God. I said a minute ago that, God, that Satan is going to try to steal what you did here. Just as, as sure as I'm standing here, Satan is yes, going to try to steal that gift. So I want you to safeguard by doing these three things. I tell everybody. First, listen to God in his word. If you don't have a Bible, we'll give you one today. You have a Bible? Okay. Read the word. The second time is you talk to God. Pray. And this third time, third thing, the hardest, but maybe not, is tell somebody what happened to you today. When I was saved, it was like getting a new bike in Christmas. I didn't want to hide it. I wanted to parade it around for everybody to see. Tell people what Christ did for you. It may be hard for you because you're stepping out of your zone. But do it. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for a glorious day. We thank you, Father, that you blessed us here and that your word was spoken as you gave it to me, Father, and there was fruit. I love you, Lord, and I give you honor and glory. Go with the people as they go to their respective places, Father. 
I plead the blood of Jesus on them and that they be blessed as they go in knowing that you are in the throne and that nothing Satan can bring against them will ever prosper because the Holy Spirit goes with us, in us, and works through us. In Jesus' name, be blessed.